Welcome to Practical Christian Living. There are a lot of really strange things in the Bible that are true. A lot of really strange things that we go, okay, you know, guy gets swallowed by fish, gets puked up on ground and, and you know, that becomes a litmus test oftentimes whether or not people are genuine Christians. If someone says, well, I think that the story of Jonah is figurative, we're like, anathema, you, you know, you false teacher. We believe many unbelievable things in the Bible, even though we don't understand them. And we won't fully understand many of those things we believe and study and study and study until we go to be with Jesus. Today on Practical Christian Living, we are in Hebrews chapter 7 looking at Melchizedek. Who is he? And what light does he shed on the priesthood of Jesus? Here's Robert Furrow. Because we interact with God in the Spirit and we walk in the Spirit and we do not walk in the flesh, we are no longer under the law and the righteous requirements of the law have been fulfilled for those who do not walk according to the flesh but walk according to the Spirit. So we could say these, these passages, this passage teaches us three things about the law. Number one, we are free from the law because Jesus paid the price already. So we're not under it. Number two, we are free from the law because we, are, we have died with Christ. And being dead, we are no longer subject to the law. Number three, we are free from the law because we now live under a new law, the Spirit, and the law of love. Jesus said a new covenant. He said, take this cup of my covenant. You have the old covenant, the law, and the, the communion cup is a, is a new covenant cup. And that new covenant is love. Jesus said a new, a new covenant I give you, a new, a new commandment I give that you love one another. And he gave that commandment of love as a new covenant. That's the new covenant that we keep. So with all of that in mind, and hopefully that's clear, hopefully I got through it quick enough not to lose you guys with all of those passages. Maybe you were able to take some notes or can come back and, and pick them up again. If you have any questions about it, then I would go back to those verses and, and, and look at them again and really pour into it. I think it's good to have because these Torah-keeping groups are growing. I believe you are going to run into them. It's a satisfying thing to keep the law. It's a self-satisfying thing to, like, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm better than they are. I'm keeping the law. But it's, it's a false, it's, it's false humility, I believe, my opinion. I think it can be more than my opinion as well, by the way. I just don't want to judge them. I want to be careful that I don't judge them, but I want to speak what the truth is. So now we get to Hebrews chapter 7. And um, it's talking about these very things. So it says in, in verse 1 of chapter 7, for this Melchizedek, remember chapter 6 ends with a statement about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is, has three verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament spends a lot of time talking about him. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now, if you don't know our study on Melchizedek, Abraham goes to rescue his, his nephew Lot, who has been taken captive by, by five armies from Sodom. And Abraham splits his men up and with favor from God, wins and gets the people back and the, 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 the loot that they took back as well. And when he comes into the Valley of the Kings, the king of Sodom is there. And he says, you can keep the money, you can keep all the stuff, but give me back the people. 
And Abraham is going to say to him, I'm not going to take anything from you. Lest you say you made Abraham rich. I'm giving you everything back. I'm giving you the people, I'm giving you your money back. But before he could do that, in the middle of this conversation with, with, with the king of Sodom, Melchizedek shows up. And he has bread and wine. And he gives it to Abraham. And Abraham takes a tenth of what he has of the loot and gives it to Melchizedek. So that's the three verses that you find in the book of Genesis. And so it goes on to say, verse 2, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated, this is the name of Melchizedek, king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means in Hebrew, king of righteousness. Do, do we know anybody else who's the king of righteousness? And then also the king of Salem, which is king of peace. Do we know anybody else who's royalty and peace, the prince of peace? And then verse 3, and here's where it gets tricky. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Melchizedek remains a priest continually. Now, it might seem like that's really easy from what it said there, but I'm, I'm kind of like David Guzik. David Guzik says when he's going over this passage, every time he teaches, teaches it, he changes his mind. It was Jesus, it's not Jesus. It was Jesus, it's not Jesus. The reason that we think it's Jesus is because it sounds like Jesus, right? He has no father, no mother, uh, no genealogy, no beginning of days. But then there's this statement that throws a wrench into that theory. And I'm not saying it's not right. I'm just saying this statement says, but made like the Son of God. In other words, it, 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 Melchizedek is made like the Son of God, not the Son of God being made like Melchizedek. And I think that's an important theological point. And so the fact that it says that, that Melchizedek was made like the Son of God, are you going to say that the Son of God came in the appearance, uh, a Christophany, a Christ appearance in the Old Testament, as Melchizedek? So that's the problem right there in, in a nutshell. I lean towards him being Jesus. I lean towards Melchizedek being Jesus. And I could be wrong. <laughs> I might get to heaven and go, oh, well, it wasn't Melchizedek. Hey, Melchizedek, how are you? I see Jesus up there and you're not him. I could be. But as I look into it and study it, I think one of the reasons people don't, I, I think one of the reasons, people shy away from things that are strange and weird. And we have a, we have, in, in the modern day, we have a tendency to sterilize the events of the Bible and to make them into something different. Like the Genesis whole sons of God with the saw the daughters of men were beautiful and abode with them and the Nephilim were in the land in those days. So that historically in the second temple era, which is the time of Jesus, um, Enoch, even Peter makes a reference to demons that didn't keep their proper abode during the days of Noah. And Jude makes a reference as well as, as demons being kept in chains because they, of their violations. So all of that looks like, and they did, they believed that it was angels that had sex with women. Now, this doesn't mean that they couldn't have been, have possessed men, that it might not have been demons that possessed men. And when it comes to changing the genes enough to have a giant or a Nephilim, which might not be a giant, but to have a Nephilim that's different, well, today we can change genes. We can 
we can have a baby born with, with blue eyes and that wasn't going to have blue eyes. So can Satan do what we can do? It just when we can do something just because it's technology, does that mean Satan couldn't do it in some other way? So these are just questions that I'm asking. So Augustine, several hundred years after the time of Christ, came up with the idea that these are the, the sons of Cain intermarrying the daughters of Seth, this, this pure line of Seth. And it's foreign to the text. The text doesn't say there's a pure line of Seth or that Cain couldn't intermingle with Seth. I didn't, where'd Cain get his wife? You know, I, I, I don't know. I guess, I don't, I don't know, you know, right? We got, we got a real problem there. You, now you got to cut off all the line of Seth that he can't get his wife from the line of Seth. He can only get his line from, that came from mom and dad through him. So, you know, more, more confusion, right? Than clearing things up. But we have a tendency to want to sterilize things and make them look like, you know, that's not so bizarre. But there are a lot of really strange things in the Bible that are true. A lot of really strange things that we go, okay, you know, guy gets swallowed by a fish, gets puked up on ground and, and, you know, that becomes a litmus test oftentimes whether or not people are genuine Christians. If someone says, well, I think that the story of Jonah is figurative, we're like, anathema, you, you know, you false teacher. But we believe it. And we could go on. We could talk about, you know, well, we could talk about men wanting, well, I'm not even going to go into it. <laughs> we could talk about what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah with angels as well, with the reverse, okay? So there, there's more we could talk about, but we won't. Because partially we don't have time. So, so he's talking about Melchizedek and he's a high priest and he's remained a priest forever and he is made like the son of God. Um, people will say of these statements, no father, no mother, that we just don't know his genealogy. That's all he's trying to say. We don't know who his father was. We don't know who his mother was. We don't know who his genealogy is. We don't, he just comes on the scene and we don't know anything about him. That's why it says that. I have difficulty buying that, but and as I said, might be true. So in verse four, now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. And indeed, those who are of his sons, Levi, those are the ones that had the priesthood, who received the, well, it says it, I should just read on, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithe from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. In other words, as Abraham is standing before Melchizedek and gives him a tithe, inside of Abraham is the genetic material for Levi. For the whole, the whole tribe of Levi is going to come from him. And so he is giving tithe. Levi is giving tithe to Melchizedek. That's the point he's making. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Notice that it says he whose genealogy is not derived. And so that's why they say that it's talking about genealogy further up, no mother and no father. So this guy without genealogy is suddenly being blessed by the Levites with their genealogy in the law. Verse six, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham's, Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins 
of his father when Melchizedek met him. All right. So you guys got that, right? All right. Let's move on. If you need to go back over that again, you can do it on your own time. But, but I, I do. There's a lot there. There's also some other clues there where it talks about mortal men. So this is another reason people will say that Melchizedek was a mortal man because of the statement there, mortal man. Is it talking about Abraham? Is it talking about Melchizedek? talking about both of them. And if, he's a, if it's a Christophany in the Old Testament, would he not be a mortal man? Again, asking questions, right? All right, so um, the need for a new priesthood. Verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people receive the law, what further need is there for another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? So if, there's, if it's perfect, if the law is perfect, then why is there need for another priest and not be called according to the order of Aaron? That's the end of verse 11. Then verse 12, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change in the law. This has to be the law of Moses. The context won't let it be the law of sin, the law of the spirit, the law of Christ, any other law that the Bible mentions. It has to be the law of Moses. It's talking about the priesthood in Aaron. Context demands it. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. He belonged to Judah. From which no man has officiated at the altar. No, nobody from the tribe of Judah ever officiated at the altar. David was king, but he was never a priest. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises a priest who has come not according to the law of the fleshly commandment, but according to the power of endless life. This power of endless life is exalted above the power of the given law of the commandments. Verse 17, for he testifies... And now he's going to quote Psalms 110, verse 4. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And isn't it great? You've got just these few references to Melchizedek in the Old Testament and that God puts in there this statement, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, which tells us what Jesus is all about. I also, side note, I also love Psalms 110 because there's a past, it's talking about the Messiah coming. And there, there you are, a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. But it says that his followers, and I forget exactly how it's worded, but it says his volu- followers are volunteers. And I love that. None of us were drafted into the army of God. We're all volunteers. You guys volunteers for Christ? Yeah. You raised your hand, you gave your life to Jesus. It says that, we're, that his people will all be volunteers, which I love. We're volunteers for him. So um, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Then verse 18, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandments because of the weakness and unprofitableness. Okay, don't miss that. On the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment. So the commandment of the priesthood coming by Aaron is annulled. I realize that it's not making it broader than that here, but you have a commandment being annulled because it is weak and unprofitable which tells you that the law in itself is weak and unprofitable in certain places. I'm not bad-mouthing the law, by the way. The law is good. It's just weak. It's unprofitable to save you. It can't save you. It can show you you need to be saved. That's the value of the law. 
For the law made nothing perfect. Again, this is Hebrews. This is the Bible saying this. The law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, the oath is in Psalms 110, verse 4. That's the oath. You are a priest forever by the order of Melchizedek. The, the, the priest under Aaron had to take oaths. God took the oath, which would also be an evidence that God is, that Jesus is God because the oath is taken by God and Jesus is the priest forever according to Melchizedek. He goes on to say then, um, verse 21, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said him, who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, Psalms 110, verse 4. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Now, remember, he's writing this to Jewish people. We're Gentiles. We're a step back from that. And he's telling them Jesus has become a better surety. This is, this is a, a new covenant and a, a better covenant, which tells us that Jewish people are not going to interact with the law the same way once they come to Christ. And that's what they're wanting to do. They're wanting to move away from Christ, this better covenant, and just go back into Judaism and just keep Judaism and keep things. And this is because we're Judeo Christianity, they had that, the, the first part of the law right, but then the law is changed. It goes on to say in verse 23 also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. I mean, they, had, they died, somebody else had to take their place. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. So now the law has a changeable priesthood, but Jesus has an unchangeable priesthood. Verse 25, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. That's the real difference between coming to Jesus by faith and receiving him. The law is unprofitable. It can't profit us. It can reveal to us our sin, but it can't save us. But he is able to save to the uttermost. And I love that statement. Read it again. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost. It doesn't say he is able to save from the uttermost. I think it was Billy Sunday who used to say, God saved me from the, the guttermost because he was a fall down drunk. He'd go out and drink and pass out in gutters. And so he would use that as a, as a statement to himself when he was preaching. God saved me from the guttermost, but it's not from. I'm not criticizing Billy Sunday for his little statement. I'm sure he got a chuckle in his day and he was a great evangelist, but this doesn't say from the uttermost. It says to. He is able to save to the uttermost. That means there's nobody who can't be saved. There's not a person. Well, what's the uttermost? Everybody can be saved. There's nobody that's done horribly bad things. Um, who was the guy who wrote um, Amazing Grace? John Newton? Is that right? Looking for some confirmation. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you guys are like, meh, meh, meh. Um, he was involved in the slave trade. I don't know for how long, but he was involved in the slave trade. And I know it haunted him that he would be involved in it. He became an abolitionist. But, hey, God can save to the uttermost. Anybody, no matter their past. 
It says uh, he can save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. That is through this priest, this Melchizedek, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Since he is alive right now making intercession for you, then you can come to him. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, uh, undefiled. That word harmless, it's, it's not a good translation. It really means innocent. And I encourage you, you have a strong concordance on your phone. There's a free Strong's Concordance app. You can open up Hebrews 7 on it. You can go to verse, what is that? Um, verse 26, click on the word um, harmless and it will bring you up the different ways it was translated and it will also tell you the definition and really what it means is innocent. Who is holy, who is innocent. It's not saying he's harmless. He's gonna be harmful to those he judges. Undefiled separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens. Great statement. He has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily all these high priests to offer up sacrifices. First for his own sin and then for the people's. That old priest had to offer his own sacrifice for his own sin and then for the people, but Jesus obviously doesn't need to do that. For the law appoints as high priest to men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath we could say the word of God in Psalms 110, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. So this didn't happen before the law. Psalms 110 came after the law. God came in and made a change. Why can God make a change? Because God wrote it. Because God's the author. And you could say, well, then God changed the word. He had the law. Then he had to change his word when he came into Psalms 110. I don't know. I, I wouldn't even say he amended it. He just brought us what was in his mind all along. He just clarified what he was doing. He never said that the Aaronic priesthood was not going to change. And then later on said, oops, I'm going to change it. He just added information that we didn't have before. He always knew it would change. He just gave it to us under the law and then added information. And the law changed because of that. So the quick answer to the question of this, the title of this study is, did God change the law of Moses? Yes. All of that to say yes. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that you give us the clarity here in the scriptures. Uh, and I thank you that we have this interest to know what's right. And that really your word is coming true because you said there are differences among us that the truth would be known. And here we are diving into these things that we wouldn't even care about if there weren't people out there who were trying to make us keep the law. We wouldn't even care about these passages. But we suddenly care about them. We would have thought that they're back for their day when they struggled with it. But suddenly, because there's differences among us, we're caring about it. And we love that your word comes true in these ways. And we pray that you would help us to have a great knowledge of the law and where we are today in our relationship to the law. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. 
our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus south of Palo Verde and I-10 meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.